Hi, and welcome to the Remain Faithful podcast. My name is Hannah, and I'm your host. On today's episode, I'm going to provide a biblically-based answer to one of the most pressing questions in our lives as believers, and give five ways that we can actively follow in God's will. Thank you for tuning in today, and let's get started. Hey, hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to this episode of the Remain Faithful podcast. I am so grateful that you've tuned in and I'm praying that this message will touch your life right where you are. So, hey everyone, today we're going to be taking on some serious theology in reference to one of our biggest questions as people living on this earth. The question being, what is God's will for my life? And whoa, I know that's a biggie. I know I have asked this, you've probably asked this. In fact, every single person who has ever thought about God at all has probably thought this. The unfortunate truth is that in our thinking, most of us have probably come up with nothing. And this question most likely feels like a pointless waste of good brain cells because it's almost like there's nothing to be said, concluded, discovered, or understood. This question is one that feels like you're treading open water in the Pacific Ocean, and trust me, I get it. However, as it so happens, the Bible actually provides a very clear answer, and while it might not be what you're expecting, I promise it will be good. This week, I'm going to answer this question. I know, I know, so stay tuned. I'm not going to spare any words. This is going to be long. This is going to be packed with theology and Bible verses, and so today, if you really want to learn some good, important theology about the will of God in your life, keep on listening. So usually on this podcast, we start with the scripture from which I'm taking the information. However, there is a lot of scripture that goes into this question. So instead, we're starting with a theology facts, not the F-A-C-T-S, but the F-A-X-X-X, the theology facts, okay? Theology comes from the Greek word theos, which means God, and also the Greek word logos, which means both reason and word in the classical Greek. Now, that might sound familiar to you because this is the same word that is used in the very famous opening of John's gospel, the first verse where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word being utilized in this sentence here, that is logos, and it's utilized both to apply to reasoning, the way that we think about things as people, as well as the personhood of Christ. So it's very interesting utilization of this Greek word in the Gospels and just throughout the scriptures in general. Theology, as a definition, is an effort to make definitive statements about God and his implications in an accurate, coherent, relevant way based on God's self-revelations. It's essentially the study of the nature of God and our religious beliefs that result from said nature. It's about who God is and what that means for us. Theology is important for all Christians because it brings us into intimate contact with the nature of God and explores how this nature intercepts our scriptures to produce our creed as Christians or just how we live. Theology is not just important for people who make podcasts, aka me. It's important for all of us. It's important because if we don't understand who our God is and why he is the way that he is, then we will not have a clear picture on why our lives look the way that they do as Christians, and we will have a difficult time motivating our spiritual disciplines. Knowing God explains why we do what we do, and it is important for every single one of us to get on board with that. So in terms of theology, there's a lot of different kinds. 
As the definition implies, there are different ways to make definitive statements based on the context by which you operate in. If you've ever listened to one of my podcasts before, you know that context is the name of the game. And so just to provide a couple of examples, right, this is by no means comprehensive. There is historical theology, which is discerning how believers from different time periods have understood theology. Philosophical, which utilizes philosophical tools to draw conclusions. Apologetics, which is the study of defending the faith for larger purposes of convincing non-believers. Biblical theology, meaning the study of revelations based on historical framework of the Bible. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how is biblical theology a subsection of theology? Isn't isn't the Bible the whole point? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So, for example, the canon of our scripture is very interesting, and one would assume that it's chronological. However, it is most definitely not. For example, after we get through the history books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, Chronicles, and Kings, we go into Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And after that happens, we find ourselves in four books, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are written in the post-exilic period when the Israelites are under the Babylonian rule and have been thrown over into the Persian rule, which allows them to go back to their home. Esther was written about the same time period as a Persian story. And so you would think that Job would be around the same kind of situation, but it's not. It was actually written in the time of the patriarchs, and it's dated most likely to around the time of Abraham's life. And so it's important to understand the Bible um, based on the historical framework and when things are occurring and why our canon came to be the way that it is. Anyway, I digress. One last final kind of theology we could utilize is practical. How to apply theological truths to our Christian lives. Now, practical theology is sometimes also called Christian ethics, but that's a different story altogether. Christian ethics is really just how you apply the biblical truths to your life, and it's different from theology because theology focuses on the revelations of scripture and the implications of it, whereas ethics is more of an application. Anyway, I digress. There's another kind of theology which is very important, and it is called systematic theology. And this is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? Systematic theology seeks to summarize biblical teaching in order to make those definitive statements about God and how that impacts our life. I find that this is the brand of theology that has my attention the most, and this is something that I focus heavily on learning, and consequently, this is the kind of theology that I teach you on the Remain Faithful podcast, so that's where we're going to be operating today. Okay, so now that we understand what theology is, the next important thing that we have to discover is what doctrine is. Now, doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches about a specific topic, and you're like, Hannah, That's what you just said the definition of systematic theology is. You're right. A doctrine is the result of doing systematic theology. It's like a chemical reaction, right? If you take sodium and you combine it with chlorine, you're going to get sodium chloride, which is table salt. And that is a dangerous reaction. So do not try that at home. In the same way that if you combine exegetical thinking with a theological approach, you're going to get a doctrine. Doctrines can be broad or narrow, and they can really be of any size, but it's important to note that the doctrine that you're looking at will influence the way that you were thinking about the specific item on your agenda, right? So coming back to the point, the will of God, right? That's what we're here to talk about. When you find yourself considering the will of God, you will be ultimately considering the character of God. In terms of God's character, things that directly define God's personhood are called attributes. These are his essential characteristics that make him who he is, and they are things that are presented to him and attributed to him throughout the entire canon of scripture. In terms of attributes, there are two kinds, right? This is important. 
There are incommunicable attributes, and these are things that God does not share with us humans as they are not communicated to us. The Bible tells us very explicitly that humans were made in the image of God. However, not everything that God is was imparted to us. For example, God is eternal and we most definitely had a start date. God is unchanging and we change all the time and God is omnipresent and we most definitely can only be in one place at one time. So those are the incommunicable attributes, things that God does not share with us. However, there are communicable attributes which are things that God does share with us that have been, quote, communicated. When God imparted things to us in our Genesis, these are the things that he gave us. There's different categories of communicable attributes, things that apply to God's being, his mental and moral attributes, summary attributes that conclude his nature, and then most importantly for today's study, there are communicable attributes of purpose, and these involve the making and carrying out of God's decisions. Since attributes of purpose directly deal with making decisions, this is consequently where the will of God falls into. This is the category in which we will be operating in for the rest of this podcast. And so the will of God, what is it, right? Scripture indicates to us that God's will is the ultimate reason for everything that happens. This is an idea that is permeated throughout the pages of our Bible. And it is something that we as Christians have come to understand that if something is going to happen, if it's not going to happen, it is going to happen according to God's will, right? So what is will in terms of definition, right? We as humans have will and we can understand it as the way in which we orient our lives and the way in which we make decisions and do things. However, when we think about God's will, it is explicitly an attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of both himself and all creation. This is very different to the way in which we humans have will, right? We have will for ourselves and the little lives that we have and the little bubbles that we keep on this earth. However, God's will is necessary not only for the upkeep of himself as an eternal, omnipresent, divine being. It is important for the existence of all creation. So the types of will we're talking about here when we reference human will and God's will are very, very different, right? Ephesians 1 chapter 11, our first scripture of the day, God is described here as someone who, quote, works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Greek, the translation of all things is ta panta, which means everything that exists in creation, right? So God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything that exists in this world is under the jurisdiction and the determination of the decisions that God is making. And this verse from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 is very important for us to keep in mind because it is necessary for us to realize that God's will deals with everything that exists in this universe, right? It is not something that can be easily summarized and the decisions of God cannot be packed into a neat little box because they are inherently too massive for such a task, right? Now, just like there are different kinds of theology, there are absolutely subcategories that we can talk about when discussing the will of God. Now, like with everything in theology, there are different ways that you can orient and break down subcategories, and the will of God is no different, right? There are multiple kinds of ways to interpret God's will and to, quote, categorize the decisions that get made. However, today we are just going to focus on two separate types, and these are the perceptive and the decretive will, or if you're familiar with this concept, more commonly, the revealed and the secret will. 
So the cornerstone text that anchors this idea is Deuteronomy 29, 29. And this says, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. It might be a little bit of overkill, the fact that these two different versions of God's will have three different names, but the decretive will is also called the will of decree. And it's given this name for the reason that it is the decree for events that God has planned, meaning things that have not yet happened, and we as people have no knowledge of, right? This says in the verse Deuteronomy 29, 29, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us, right? So these are things that we do not know, we do not understand. There are other scriptures that discuss the secret will, notably Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, and this says, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place, and I will do all my will. Again, we have Job 42 verse 2, and it says that no plan of yours can be thwarted. So when we consider the secret will, we are explicitly talking about things that are in God's plan that we as a people on this earth have absolutely no knowledge of. However, these are things that are fully understood to the Lord. And these are things that while they have not taken place yet, God has every intention about bringing about the fullness of his will. However, the perceptive will is also called the will of precept. And this is the will of command, and it concerns what we should do and what God has commanded us to do. So far in this podcast, we've talked about the definition of theology, emphasized why it is necessary for us to take a systematic look at theology to make definitive statements about God in order to really understand his character, talked about a doctrine, fallen into a conversation about the doctrine of the character of God, discussed the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God, and now we find ourselves discussing the difference between the secret and the revealed will. Whoa, you guys are just learning today. And this is where the point becomes really necessary, right? We've gone through all of this logistical stuff to be able to highlight the importance of really thinking about our lives in terms of a biblical context. And the issue that we have when it comes to the will of God is as Christians, When we consider the question, quote, what is God's will for my life? We spend 98% of our time pondering the secret will, not the revealed will, all right? The reason we have no answer is because we are consumed in the questioning of the theoretical, the metaphysical, and the pure intellectual speculation on matters that are, quite frankly, none of our business. God's timing on the revealing of his will is perfect, and we can trust that the will of decree will transform into the will of precept at the properly appointed time. We're exhausted, tired, and scared to trust God because we're focusing on the will that we don't have access to, and what's more, we're neglecting the will that we do. And now you're still thinking to yourself, okay, what is it? What is God's will for my life? All right, I'll tell you. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. Are you ready? Are you ready? It says, for this is God's will, your sanctification. That's it right there. Mic drop. Leave in the podcast. Sanctification is the subject of next week's episode, so stay tuned. But for our purposes today, it is sufficient to say that sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit shapes and molds us into people who are more like Jesus. It's a lifelong endeavor, and it is honestly among the most important undertakings that we are called to in Christ. This verse only has seven words in it. 
the sentence structure is very basic and the command is very plain. However, I want to emphasize that what is simple does not equal it being easy. I'll say it again, simple does not equal easy. It's very plain to say that God's will is our sanctification, but that is a very difficult task indeed, and I do not want to undermine the difficulty that lies within these words. Of course, I would be remiss to not mention that the will of precept includes other commandments, right? Two examples. One comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and it says, Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. That is a very explicit order that we're given from the Lord. Another example, Micah 6, 8, very famous here. Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Another very important command, right? We could go on. We could talk about dozens of different commandments that we are issued in the Bible to pray without ceasing, to know your God, aka read your Bible, spread the good news of the gospel, which is the Great Commission, right? We could do this for a very long time. However, our obedience grows as our sanctification process matures. It's almost like we're trees. As we push our roots down and expand, stretching into new areas of spiritual discipline and study, the taller we become, the larger our canopy gets, the more animals we're able to host within our branches, the more oxygen we yield, the more shade we provide for others. Y'all, I'm a biology major, and I can promise you that the health of a plant can usually be determined from its root network. The process of sanctification produces better fruit in terms of the commandments the Lord has issued us and our ability to follow them. It is truly the river from which everything in our heart will flow. So just to reiterate here, God's overarching will in our lives is for us to be like him, right? Now, the radical thing is that sanctification also affects our will. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. As we become sanctified, the more intense the yearning to do God's will becomes, and we find ourselves desiring to be obedient and to trust him fully. So now just doubling back to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, I'm going to read it again. It says, For this is God's will, your sanctification. If we go on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, there's a whole bunch of good stuff in the middle, and I highly recommend it. But these verses say, Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Like I said earlier in this episode, when we think about the will of God, we're always hyper-focusing on the things that we don't have access to the things that have not yet come to pass, the future that we have absolutely no jurisdiction over. However, we fail to trust the Father in the fact that he has complete and utter authority over everything that has happened in the past, is happening in the present, and will happen in the future. The Bible is explicit. We are told to become like Christ. We are told to rejoice always, pray constantly, and to continue to give thanks. 
These are the things that God wants us to focus on in our lives. And I would challenge you to think about your daily spiritual disciplines and to really consider the time that you put into rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, and just the overall process of becoming like the Lord. Because the beautiful reality is that as you become sanctified, you will become stronger in the spirit. So when the will of decree is made perceptive, you will be ready and equipped to honor God in what he has called you to do. A quote from Donald Barnhouse, it says, Often there are believers who wonder how they may know the will of God. We believe that 90% of the knowing of the will of God consists in willingness to do it before it is known. All right, so we've uncovered that the true will of God for our lives, the will that we can actually do something about, is for us to become more like him. So I'm going to give you guys five tips on following the will that is presented to us, the will of precept, the perceptive will, the revealed will, whatever vocabulary term you prefer here today. Number one, submit yourself to the Lord. First Peter Chapter 4, verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And the will of God, as many of us have probably realized in the pandemic and just daily life in general, often can come with suffering. This verse in First Peter here tells us that suffering according to God's will can happen. It is absolutely something that we could be tasked with in this life. It could most definitely become a trial of ours. However, this verse explicitly commands us to entrust our souls to our faithful creator while we continue to do good and while we continue to strive and push forward for the development of his kingdom according to his other wills that we should be sanctified and continually rejoicing, right? Another example of this type of obedience, this type of submission that's necessary to follow after God's heart where his will for us is concerned is Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. We talked about this last week, the way that Jesus very boldly prayed to the father in the garden of Gethsemane and Again, we bring this back up again. It's such an incredible picture of Jesus' obedience to what the Lord had called him to do. And even though it was something that he did not want to be doing, it was not something that he particularly fancied. He cried out to the Father and he said, your will be done. So that is tip number one. Submit yourself to the Lord. Tip number two. Stop presuming your will over God's will. An important text that we can consider here is James chapter 4, verse 15. It says, Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. In this part of chapter 4, James is explicitly taking on people who are presuming their will over the Lord's will. And he tells them explicitly that they should not put all of their plans in tomorrow, that they should not have grandiose assumptions that they're going to be able to do X, Y, or Z. But instead, they should realize that the only reason that they are able to go about their daily activities and to do the things that they do is because the Lord has willed it. This is important for us to realize as well, because oftentimes I think we all fall prey to the trap of assuming that we orchestrate our lives, that we are the reason that we wake up in the morning, that our alarm clock is the reason we get up, that the reason we're able to breathe is because our lungs work, but the reality is that all of these things are the orchestration of God's good will in our life, right? I wake up in the morning because God has allowed me to. I breathe because God says that I can, right? So we have to be able to put ourselves in the position of understanding that our will at absolute best is secondary to God's. 
His will is paramount to everything in our life. And this is a very important realization for us to have if we are to will and to work according to God's good purpose for us, as stated in Philippians chapter 2. Number three, very important tip, read the word. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 21 says, The Lord continued to appear in Shiloh, because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. The Lord reveals himself through his word. So if you are someone who is facing a decision and you are finding yourself pondering the will of God, you're pondering the secret will, not the revealed will, but you're thinking about it and you really want to know what God has you doing in the future, one of the only ways you're going to be able to figure that out is if you are constantly devoting yourself to intentional and explicit time of study. The Bible should be, as you continue to grow in your process of sanctification, your lifeline. It is something that is indispensable, irreplaceable, and completely and utterly necessary. If you want to hear from God, if you want him to be able to share his will with you and turn his will of decree into his will of precept, you have to get into your Bible constantly and you have to stay there. All right. Tip number four, pray for the spirit to teach you God's will. Psalm 134 verse 10, it says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me on level ground. I said earlier that sanctification was not an easy thing. The verse in itself was simple. The command was simple, but it's not easy. And so it is absolutely appropriate for you to pray for the Lord to teach you how to do his will and teach you in the process of sanctification how to become more like him how to reorient the way that you think the way that you live in your daily life to be able to become like jesus this verse says very explicitly that the gracious spirit of the lord is able to lead us on level ground so it is important that we are continually asking for this type of passage that the lord would help us in our progress and provide us with additional guidance and support as we continue to go along and number five the most important thing on the list and quite probably the most important thing that I'm going to say throughout this entire episode is to make all decisions in the light of your pending sanctification. At the end of the day, we have free will and a lot of the decisions that feel massive, who we're going to marry, where we're going to work, what college we're going to attend, things of this caliber are actually things that we have the power to choose for ourselves. Now, that is complicated and we will save that for another day. I will talk about it another time. But since we have this freedom, we have to be able to make God-honoring decisions with this freedom. And so the next time you find yourself with a really big decision that has to get made and you're thinking, I have free will and I have to make this choice and you're standing at that crossroads and you don't know what to do, ask yourself, Will this make me more like Jesus? Will this decision create me into a better representation of who my Lord is? And when you start framing up your decisions with the implication that everything that you do, say, think will have a consequence, positive or negative, to the process of your sanctification, to the way in which you present yourself to other people, other believers, other people who don't know Christ. When you frame it up in this way, choices become a lot easier, I promise. When you concern yourself with only becoming like Jesus in the decisions that you make in your daily life, choices start to come more naturally. A verse from Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 says, 
And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. When you find yourself trying to decide what you should do, where you should work, who you should be friends with, anything that feels like it's a very, very weighty decision, listen to the voice of God telling you, this is the way. Walk in it. And remember that your purpose on this earth is to become sanctified. And so if you are making choices in the light of that pending sanctification, choosing to become more like Jesus with everything that you do, I promise, sweet friend, that you are living in the will of God. And so there is no need to worry about what God's will for you is in that moment because you are living in it and you are actively being obedient to the process of sanctification and you are listening to the voice of the Spirit as it calls out to you to continue to become like your Savior. So as you go forward and as you continue to worry and continue to stress about things, what you should be doing, just remember that God's will for our life very simple, not easy. It's very simple. God wants you to become sanctified. God wants you to be made into his image more and more every single day. And this comes with discipline, like rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, reading the word, loving the Lord. And if you were doing any of these things, if you're advancing in this general direction and striving to be more like Jesus, then friend, you are doing God's will. My hope is that this podcast has given you a little bit of peace of mind, made you realize that things in this life, while they may seem momentous at the time, it all boils down to one simple thing. If we're becoming like Jesus and following in his footsteps, then we're on the right track. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Let me know what you learned. Let me know what your favorite part of this podcast has been. Next week, we're coming back. We're going to be talking more about sanctification. We're going to be diving in again to this idea so we can really all get on the right track of becoming like Jesus. I hope everybody has a great, blessed day. And until next time, remain faithful. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would be grateful if you subscribe to the show so you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find our Instagram page at Remain Faithful Podcast or you can head over to our website at remainfaithful.org.